yesterday, huh? It was good to see Lauren and John and all the uh, Lauren and John get married. <laughs> Lauren and Zach get married. And uh, John wasn't able to be here this morning because he was physically tired from all the dancing he did last night. Some of you will see that on videos, I'm sure. And all the emotional crying that he did yesterday warm as well. So uh, he, he asked me to preach this morning, and I'm really thankful to do that. So I'm just going to share some stuff that the Lord's been teaching me and um, working through. And we're going to start in Ephesians 3, kind of working our way to Romans. and just spend a lot of time in the Word. So uh, I hope you brought your Bibles and can flip around with me. If not, it'll be up on the screen here as well. And um, this is just a passage that I've been reading through and kind of just praying through the last uh, the last couple weeks, and uh, it's been something that's been meaningful to me, and so I just wanted to share with you guys what's been going on, kind of deviate a little bit from the series that's been going on, Mercy Triumphs Over Judgment, and, but it'll be kind of in a similar vein, so, but Ephesians 3, verse 14 is, this uh, through this reading down is this really just this powerful passage that I've just been sitting on and sitting on and sitting on. Just kind of read through the last couple of weeks. And so I just want to share that with you guys this morning. So Ephesians 3, verse 14, we'll just start reading. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. From every family in heaven and on earth that draws his name. Um, this is Paul speaking, obviously. And that, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, um, another word for that, or another translation for that, the Greek would be that Christ would make his home in your heart if through faith. That's really neat, just something to think about. We're not going to go there. But, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. This is the verse we're going to hang on a little bit today. And I'll read it again. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask, or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Dear, dear Lord, I just pray, Jesus, I pray this morning that people would experience your love in, in just uh, new ways this morning, that you would give them new revelation, that um, then the truth of Christ would be revealed in their hearts, that it would bear fruit in their lives, Lord, and that you, your work would be expanded this morning into their lives, and that they have something that they can hold and cling to this morning, that there is something that they will... Um, that they will put their hope in and their trust in. And that is Jesus in the world. And so, Lord, we just love you and thank you for your many blessings on our lives. Um, may we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this passage, Ephesians 3. Uh, the reason I really sat on this passage, the reason I really was like working through this passage and kind of wanted to um, spend some time with you guys on it is because of this verse in particular, at 19. And to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that may be filled up to all the fullness of God. And the thing that really, like, I was hang, I, hanging out for a long time, just kind of praying through, what is it to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge? And really, if you, like, even think about it, how do you know something more than you know it is, in essence, is what I was asking in my head. How do you know something more than you know it? And then I began to just kind of... Um, uh, just look through some of the words, and we're going to kind of do some Greek this morning and just kind of work through that, but these two words mean something a little bit different than one another, and this is where it gets kind of interesting. How do you know something more than you know it? That word, that word know is a very specific word, actually. It's the word uh, gnosko. Um, gnosko sounds, I don't think I'm saying it right, I really don't, but I think it's gnosko, and that word is a very unique word, and that, that word is saying that it's an experience that you are having with somebody. This is like an experience. This is something where you are um, in relationship with somebody. This is something where you know this person 
and to know or to experientially know the love of Christ that surpasses information. Now, let me put this in the context for you. Let me give you a little example. How many of you have taken a test? Like, how many of the college students um, have taken a test on, like, marriage and family, maybe? Have any of y'all taken a test on marriage and family? Some of you? Uh, none of you have taken a test on marriage and family. They don't do those tests anymore, you know, like, homemaker classes or anything, you know? Um, okay, let me give you a different one then. Um, how many have taken a test on a foreign country? Um, on a, give me any shout out of a foreign country that you've taken a test on. Anybody got one? Something? Nothing? Germany. Germany. Yes. Took it, and you took a test on Germany. Okay. Now, have you ever traveled to Germany? Have you ever been to Germany? Never been to Germany. You've never gone there. You've never experienced Germany. But you took a test on Germany. Right? Okay. So you, you were able to take a test on Germany. And you were probably able to list out, you know, all this different information about the historical timeline. Right? You were able to put together, you know, all, all the different kings, you know. Or did Germany have kings? I don't know. You tell me you wanted to test. They didn't have kings. Okay. So you were able to put together all this information about Germany when you took the test. But you never actually, like, walked the streets of Germany. Correct? So, so if you were to walk the streets of Germany, you might you might experience what? What might you experience? You might experience some of the people, right? Some of the food, some of the different things that go on. You might experience some of the sights. You might see some different things. You would have experiential knowledge. So if you were taking a test, say on um, um, Auschwitz, you know where the the Jews were held, you would if you went there, you went to this place. You would have the information, and then it, well, that information would transcend into experiential understanding about this place, right? That you could actually experience Auschwitz, you know, where the Jews were kept. And, and you would have knowledge and understanding about it, but then they would transcend that and go into an experiential place. So that's what this verse is actually saying, and it becomes really powerful when you begin to read it in, in that way, that... That you may be able to comprehend what all the saints, what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of that love, basically. So if you were to go back to 17, um, I'm sorry, not 17, 19, and, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up with all the fullness of God. So it, it, Paul's desire, Paul's desire, and I believe the Lord's desire for you, is that you would experientially know the love of Christ that you would experience with. So a lot of us, I'll myself included, a lot of times would know the love of Christ. Would know it. Head, head knowledge. Information. You would have information. But when it comes to experientially knowing the love of Christ, it would be something different. We, we don't have that experiential relationship sometimes. And then we, we don't, and, and as a result, we're not filled up with all the fullness of God as, as a result of it. So my encouragement this morning would be that what is the love of Christ? And then what are the ways that we experientially know the love of Christ? Well, what are those ways that we experientially know the love of Christ? And so um, we're going to go on uh, go on from this passage and go to Isaiah 53, but uh, before I, you, you've got to obviously ask, what is the love of Christ? What is the love of Christ? And the best place to look to know the love of Christ is the cross. The cross, Calvary. So the, the best place to look and see what the, is the love of Christ is to look towards Calvary, the cross, and to see what it is. In Isaiah 53, he talks about this as a, as a prophecy concerning the cross of Christ and what took place there. And it, um, it's this really powerful Isaiah 53, starting in verse 3. I'll, I'll read it from the screen here. It says this. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised. This is speaking of Jesus. And we esteemed him not. Verse 4 says, 
in fixing your life. He's not interested in helping you. Now that sounds, that sounds harsh, but it's actually a really good thing. Because, because your flesh is just that. It's not going to be fixed. It's out of control. It's the rabid dog that needs to be put down in, in some form or fashion. Now, how, you, you may say, like, how are you speaking about the love of God? I, I just want to, to show you um, a few passages. 2 Corinthians 5.14. Because it sounds really harsh. I'm not, I don't want to be harsh at all. I want, I want to be filled with grace and how to speak this stuff. But 2 Corinthians 5.14 says this. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge of us that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all. That those who live should no longer uh, for themselves. Do you catch what it's saying? It's, it's catching that Christ died for us. And because of that, all of us are in faith, have the ability to be crucified on the cross as well with Christ. And, and our old man is crucified. And you're going to see why this is so important later. Um, that those who live should no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. So, so Paul doesn't regard himself according to the flesh. He doesn't look at you and say, I see you as the you that you are in this feet. Paul says, okay, I'm beginning to see you as God sees you, as, as a crucified individual, and God is beginning to see you as a glorified individual. Okay? Yet not now we know him, thus no, no longer. I'm reading some old translation, so I maybe it's different on the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. See, the new creation is what God wants to establish. Because if you're born of God, does God make anything bad? No, He doesn't. He's not going to make anything bad. You've got you to realize this. God is not interested in fixing you. He's interested in seeing you born again in the new creation, which is of God, which cannot have any sin in it. He's interested in working with that. He's not interested in fixing the old people at all. And so, old things have passed away. Behold, old things have become new. Galatians 2.20, this would be a verse to hang on. Okay, this is, this is the verse to one. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith. Romans 6.6 6 explains it a little bit more. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we die with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. And knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more, death no longer has dominion over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all, and the life that he lives, he lives to God. And so we're, we're beginning to see this picture of just a person who is experientially beginning to know the love of Christ, is to know, first, that your legal debt was paid, and second, that the old man is crucified on the cross in faith in Christ, is at work in your life. He's the one at work in your life. He's the one doing something. He's the one being lifted up in your life. It's not you that he's actually interested in fixing. It, it is in a sense, but I would, in, in theological terms, and kind of get a little um, mixed up if I were to try to get that But anyway, so he, he's interested in Christ being the Lord. And so now we get to a place where experiencing the love of God, when the old man is crucified, the Spirit begins to be at work in our lives, and we begin to experience the love of God in three different ways um, that we're going to look through in Romans 8. Um, I'm just going to put it at three different ways. I'm sure there's a lot more ways in general, but this is how Paul really summarizes. How being in relationship with God, this is what Paul says, he's experiencing the love of Christ and knowing the love of Christ in three specific ways. And, um, and as the Spirit of Christ is at work in his life, 
as Christ himself is at work in his life. In Romans 8.26, he gives this amazing just, uh, um, exposition of what it is to be in the love of Christ. All right? So we're going to spend the most of the rest of our time here. Romans 8.26. Um, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Now that's important. We may come back to that later. And he who searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Um, and, and he who searches the hearts, the speaking of the Holy Spirit, knows the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that's like experiential word right there. That's that's the gnosko. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called uh, uh, who are called according to his purpose. First place, you are going to the Spirit is wanting to produce in your life in which you want are experiencing the love of God is that you begin to trust God that all things are for your good. All things are for your good. That's what the Spirit is wanting to produce in you. And that sounds kind of, um, that sounds kind of uh, wishy-washy at first, I guess, you know, kind of like, um, uh, almost like David claiming stuff. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what I'm saying at all, actually. Because at first, I might read this verse. I might read it, and I might say, okay, if this is saying that all things are for my good, or the Lord is completely for my good, I may be asking God something like this. I may say, God, my job stinks. Give me another job. Or I might say, you know, like, my husband stinks, or my wife stinks. Give me another wife or husband, you know. Or I may say something along the lines of, Lord, can you fix this issue I've got going on? Or I may go, begin to go down this road of, Lord, I need you to jump in and fix this thing. Or just me last night when my, my child wakes up at like 1 o'clock in the morning and then stays awake till 3, I'm just crying out to the Lord, fix this issue, God. Fix this thing. And then my dog gets up and I like want to knock the dog out. And, and then my other sons get up. You know, I'm just like, God, fix this. You know, why don't you just fix this? You can come down and just like knock these kids out and put them to sleep. Why don't you do it? That's, that's where our mindset begins to go is, is, God, why don't you fix our problems? Because we've realized, right, that in the sovereignty of God, He has the ability to fix all our problems in some form or fashion. He has the ability to. But our, our mindset is twisted. Our mindset is twisted because the flesh desires to have mastery. And it desires that it would be raised up in some form or fashion. So we desire... That God would give us what we want most of the time. But that's not what this passage is actually saying. But it will give you so much freedom if you catch what is being said here. And when it says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. To those who are called according to his purposes. So if you have been crucified with Christ Jesus. He no longer sees you anymore. He sees Jesus. And so whatever is going on in your life at the moment, you can be content because he loves his son very much. And he sees you as his own son. And he loves you a bunch. So whatever is going on in your life in this moment is for your good. It's not there for you to necessarily get out of. So the Lord's like teaching me this lesson this last night. You know, I said my kids were like waking up. And my kids are waking up at, at 1 o'clock. I'm only, I'm only going out for two hours of sleep right now. Maybe three hours, okay? And so uh, my kids wake up. I'm like, Lord, why don't you fix this issue? Why don't you just knock it out? The Lord reminds me of the sermon. And he tells me, hey, this is for your own good. I, and right there, I'm experiencing the love of Christ in some form or fashion. Yeah, I'm getting to know the love of Christ. And so I can realize that when, when the bill pops up, an on, on, you know, unexpected bill 
that, um, that comes in the mail, you know, like you got this doctor's bill or whatever it may be, or I got this thing going on that needs to be fixed or this, this issue with the job or whatever it may be. I'm not asking the Lord to fix this issue. I'm beginning to praise God because he would put me in this place. Knowing that it's for my own good. Knowing that he loves me enough to put me in this place. I'm beginning to experience the love of God because this is what the Spirit is producing in me. I contentment to be okay with where I'm at and what I'm doing. I'm not thinking down the road, how am I going to get out of this thing? I'm not thinking down the road, how is this going to work out? I'm knowing I'm exactly in the hands of a loving God and he's got me in this perfect place and I don't have to figure it out. And, and he would express this in what trust? I mean, why can we trust him? He says this in 8.32, Romans 8.32. Um, read this with me, Romans 8.32. i got to find it in this small Bible because all my other pages in my Bible got ripped out. Um, by the little children. It's hard to make. Um, 8.32 says this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Read that again. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what basis, Jeremy, do you have to say that God loves me enough that the situation I'm in, how is it loving? Listen, he already proved his love by sending his son to die for you and I. He gave us the greatest gift that he could possibly give. He deserves to have that trust. He has already proved himself. He does not have to prove himself anymore. And experientially, we can learn to love God or know the love of God by just trusting that he is looking out for our best good. And, and it goes even beyond that because he says, okay, I've already given you the best. But I've given you the best already in Jesus Christ. Will I not always, will I not also give you other good things? It's not like he says, okay, you're getting saved and now I'm withholding my best for you. It's actually that he says, okay, I've already given you this thing. It's like the passage about the father, right? The, uh, if you being a father who's evil know how to give good gifts to your son, how much more will your heavenly father who's good? He desires to give us all good things, and you can trust that whatever your situation you are in, the Lord is for your good. And this even goes to the, I'm going to flip it to the Christian side. Because the Christian side, the, the Christianese language, where we're struggling with, and we're groaning with all the time, is we're struggling with, okay, what's the will of God for my life? What am I supposed to be doing with my life? You know, what's, what's my calling? What's this thing going on? What am I supposed to be doing here? Should I be a missionary? Should I be a preacher? Should I do this? Should I be a worship pastor? Whatever it may be. Should I be a teacher? And we're struggling with this thing, all this different stuff. But that's not the point. That, because to make that the point is actually to ask the Lord to do something for you, to figure this thing out for you, in essence. What the Lord says is, listen, you focus on me and allow me to work all this stuff out. You don't have to worry about the secondary callings on your life so much, the places you're supposed to be as a Christian minister. You don't have to focus so much uh, about, you know, should I be in this place or should I be in this place or what's Because ultimately, those things become about us in some capacity. But actually, knowing the love of Christ is just to rest in where he's currently got you and to love the people around you. It's at that point that you begin to freely love the people around you. So you can know that the love of Christ has got you where he's got you for a very specific reason. All right? So, second place. Second place, we begin to see the love of Christ experientially. All right? If we were to continue and read in this, in Romans 8, 20, 
26. So, and I'll start at verse 31. What shall, what then shall we say to the, these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's life? It is God who justifies. Let me read this again. Because maybe it didn't stick. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 30, verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? So, the second place that we can experientially know the love of Christ is to move away from condemnation. To move away from condemnation. We can experientially to know the love of Christ by moving away from condemnation and not receiving it. And knowing what Scripture says and what Christ has done and what the cross means for us. And there's three places that we really experience condemnation and that Christians kind of get in this place of shame and they struggle with things and that you can know the love of Christ in this. Um, is the first place we experience condemnation is from Satan. Okay, Satan is the, his biggest desire is to condemn you. And what so many Christians don't really understand is that he's just a poser. He's just faking it all. As a Christian, he has no basis to condemn you anymore. So the place that where you get in, in struggle and sin, you know, like you're in a place where you're where you're um, you're struggling with some sin and you're you're you know you fall into sin in a moment, and that's the place that Satan likes to chirp up in our lives and condemn us to that sin. So you slip up, you mess up, you struggle, you enter into this cycle of condemnation. Because Satan is whispering something about you in your ear. He says, he says things like, you know, you're really not as holy as you thought you were. You're really not that person that you say you are in church. You're really not that person, you know. Why even go there if you're going to be a fake? Why even, why even do that, you know? And he begins to whisper those things in your ear as you struggle with sin. The problem is, he has no basis for those condemnations anymore. That condemnation. The, the scripture would say over and over again that Jesus, and if you want to back up in Romans even, he intercedes on your behalf, and God no longer sees you. And he sees Christ. And so there is no basis. All he's doing is it's just a fake. It's just a sham. He's just trying to tell you something that is um, it has happened in the past. It's not what your future is going to be in Christ. And so, and so he's condemning you that. The second place we may experience condemnation is from the world, right? We may experience condemnation from the world because the world will tell us what kind of good people believe in, in Jesus Christ, that this man could raise from the dead and come to life. And, and the world has got all these things that try to entice us and bring us in. And we experience condemnation in the midst of that. But remember that Christ says to be in the world. And then the third place, and this is where I, I would want to spend more time, is the biggest place probably. I think, I think, I think probably like Satan and the world are kind of like secondary to this thing, you know, because we kind of, um, we've, we've kind of, well, anyway, uh, um, this is where it, it all starts. We're going to experience the most condemnation, I think. The most condemnation we experience in our life is from ourselves. From ourselves. We're the biggest um, condemners of ourselves and the people around us. So we look at our lives and we say, I'm really messed up. I don't know what God can do with this. I don't know what God can, can, um, can do with me. Or I'm constantly 
one that defeated the sin. And so you get to really like live in that and come into the battle knowing that Jesus is the conqueror. And this will make all the difference in your life. He watched me would go on to say, let us keep this in mind, that the victory is Christ himself and has nothing to do with us. So how does this change us? So say I'm struggling with um, any number of things. You know, say I'm struggling with um, uh, gluttony, you know. I'm struggling with sins of eating. Now, what I can do is I can focus my attention towards all that I'm eating, all that I'm struggling with, all that, all the different things that I'm, that I'm, um, that, and I can focus my time in on getting victory over that particular sin, right? But what will end up happening is I may, I may crucify that sin, but another sin will just pop up somewhere else. Because that old man, that old man is still the one in charge. He's still the one working. So it's not about me, like, focusing in on uh, true repentance. True repentance is not me focusing in on the sin and working out that sin in my life. True repentance is casting my gaze towards Christ. And as a byproduct of true repentance, what happens is my back does get turned to that sin. But my gaze is set on Christ and, and His victory and what He's done and that He is more than a conqueror and my life has changed as a result of that. And you get to trust in Jesus' victory, not your own victory. Philippians 1, 6 is so often quoted and we use it a lot of times um, in, 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 uh, um, in quoting current circumstances. But this is really intended for future so if we read this, I thank God in remembrance of you. This is starting verse 3, actually. I thank my God in all remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you, in view of your participation in the gospel from the first day until now. For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So what's that saying? And the faith come on up already in Begin to play, uh, is saying that one day Christ is going to complete the work that he started at the cross. Christ is going to finish this work one day. And so we can live with that in view, knowing that we are more than conquerors, we are more victorious already. The victory has already been won. It says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15, and I love this. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. If you're struggling with sin, and you're saying, I'm not a victorious person. I'm not a conqueror. That's not me. Here's the good thing. You're going to die soon. You're going to die soon. <laughs> you'll be with Jesus, and you'll be glorified. Because he's already got the victory. He's already beat that sin. He's already beat that struggle that's in your life. He's already defeated. So death doesn't have a hold on your life anymore. Sin doesn't have a hold on your life anymore. I'm not walking under 
maybe you don't feel like a victor or a conqueror of Christ. Maybe you just need to be reminded that Christ has already got the victory. So let's pray. And if you um, feel like you want to pray, there's people down here to pray over you. And uh, I just hope you experience the love of Christ this morning. Lord, we love you. We love you because you first loved us. And I just pray that this morning that people maybe even in a small thing would experience more of the love of, the love of Christ. That they would experientially know the love of Christ. That they would trust, us, trust you more as the Spirit is producing that in their life. That they would experience less condemnation in their life as the Spirit is, is speaking the promises of God over their life. Then they would find victory in Christ. And then we would realize that you're not so interested in fixing us or fixing who we are, but that you're interested in Christ being lifted up in our life. And that is really good for us. That is a really good thing for us. And it's a huge blessing to be a part of. So if there's somebody even here this morning that doesn't know the love of Christ at all, even doesn't even have the, the information side of the Lord, I pray that there are people that would not um, leave this place without talking to somebody about the love of Christ and what the, what the Father did um, with His Son and sent Him to this place to buy their salvation. That they would receive righteous based off of the finished work of Christ. That they would not leave this place without knowing some more of the love of Christ and, and hopefully end up experiencing some of the love of Christ. And Lord, I pray that we would even leave this place with our hearts full, filled up with all the fullness of God and that Christ and the Spirit of Christ has made His home in our hearts. love you because you first loved us.